This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stoppage Time. I'm your host, Chris Basinger, and joining me in the studio today is Andy Hewling. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Chris. Finally, a good weekend of sports. Uh, Terrible weekend outside of soccer, but hey, Manchester City got the win. Glad to hear it. And joining us over the phone lines yet again is David Ordway. David, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing great, Chris. I'm doing great. I'm uh, just adopted. I just adopted a puppy and uh, going through the training process, but I'm doing great. Oh, how cute! How old is the puppy? He's eight weeks. <laughs> eight weeks. You love to see it. Uh, all right, folks. Well, uh, there's really no other story that we can start with this week. Uh, let's get right up into the news with uh, Everton playing Liverpool at Goodison Park Saturday morning. The early game, 6.30 a.m. for us, ended in a 2-2 draw. Um, Pickford, man of the match for Everton, it seems, uh, going in with that horrendous challenge against uh, Virgil van Dijk. Uh, David, your thoughts on this? No, I mean, it's a, it's a bad challenge, and uh, I think it should have absolutely been a penalty, and I, I think the AR and the referees failed. But at the same time, you know, challenges like that happen, um, and I feel really bad for Virgil van Dijk with the torn ACL, and things like that suck. You know, uh, Sun had one uh, last year with Gomez on Everton that, you know, it broke his ankle, and it wasn't even, you know, it was a bad challenge, and it was a shame, but things that happened, that happened in soccer, the shame that Van Dyke got injured. Yeah, um, if I recall correctly, I believe Jordan Pickford also had a similar incident um, uh, on a tackle against Deli Alley. Am I correct in that? Yeah, he had a bad one against Deli Alley, too. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's a shame. It's a shame. I, I, I wish that it was better, but, um, you know, things like that happen in soccer. Yeah, um, the Referees Association and the FA said that uh, the red card for reckless endangerment was not reviewed because they had already reviewed for the offsides, and since Virgil was offsides in this situation, uh, they said that they couldn't make a penalty call, but there is confusion about what they can uh, and can't do uh, regarding a, a red card decision after an offsides and for reckless endangerment. Uh, we've already seen similar things happen this season with VAR, especially with uh, the the penalty be, being called in the Manchester United Brighton game after the final whistle. Uh, Andy, do you want to clear up what the referees got wrong in this situation? Well, clearly, I think the referees should have looked at this regardless of the offside because obviously it wasn't going to be a penalty just because he was offside. But I think they should have taken a look through VAR to see the tackle and make sure that, hey, this is you know a good or bad tackle. And I think in this case, it was a bad tackle. He just ran right into him with his uh, legs. Was not a, you know, he didn't dive in with his arms to try to get the ball. He didn't even you know, get anywhere close to it. He took out Van Dyke in a very, very bad tackle, and I think the referees missed that. But I think after this, they're going to hopefully maybe see the line between, hey, you know, where where is a bad tackle versus where is a good tackle. Um, so hopefully maybe the referees might get that a little bit better after this incident. Yeah, my, my feelings on it are that um, Pickford was not going to get the ball. 
there was just no way that he was going to get to the ball. It ultimately didn't matter because Van Dyke was offsides. But the way that he went into that challenge has to come from a place where he, he's been off this entire season. He was already off for the last few years. Um, hasn't really gotten anywhere close to his peak in the in the 2018 World Cup, I would say. Um, and he's just been looking desperate. He's been filling around we, uh, during games. He's probably he's been the weak link of this Everton team that's looked strong so far this season. Uh, and we saw all sides of Jordan Pickford in this game. We saw some incredible saves. The Joel Matip header was very, very close to going in until Pickford uh, made a diving stop to get it out of the net. Um, but we're also seeing these uh, ridiculous uh, challenges where he's also uh, failing his flailing his body uh, in, in the way of other players. Um, so, as you said, Virgil van, da- van Dyke goes down. Uh, he suffered damage to his AC- ACL and will undergo surgery. A uh, time for that surgery has not been set, but it's looking like the defender could be out for eight months to the rest of the season. Liverpool aren't really willing to uh, put out a, a timetable on when he's going to come back. And, of course, these events, uh, and we'll talk about the other events that happened in this game too, uh, really overshadowed the match. But, uh, uh, David, what can you say about uh, the performances of the two teams regardless of uh, the referee? I think, I think Everton is the real deal. Um, I'll be honest. I mean, yes, uh, I do believe that Liverpool, you know, kind of got, you know, the raw side of a deal in the game. But I really think Everton are kind of the real deal this year. The, the midfield trio that they have, especially James Rodriguez, I mean, what a, what a player he is. And to get him for basically for free from Real Madrid, you know, and, and I actually think based on the performances of players that have left Real Madrid, Real Madrid, you know, made some bad, bad transfer deals, you know, um, especially letting Hamas go for three. And um, now in saying that Liverpool played like Liverpool, you know, they're a strong team. Um, but I think Everton, you know, they're in first right now. And I'm not saying they're going to win the title in the slightest, but I, I do believe that they will be in the conversation, uh, especially going through Boxing Day. Um but, I mean, I was impressed with both teams. Uh, I mean, Liverpool's front three, you can't beat them. So. Mm. Yeah, I, it was a close game. It came all the way down to the end. Uh, late in the game, after Everton perhaps should have been down a uh, player the entire match, um, Richarlison goes in for a another just a despicable tackle against Thiago. There's no other way to say it. He slid in, cleats up, obvious straight red. Um, you could see Joe Gomez's reaction to that challenge was that he dropped on the pitch and just put his head between his legs. Um, Everton looked like they were reckless throughout the entire match, not only in those challenges, but in challenges throughout the match. Do you think that, Andy, that was part of their strategy this game is to to make it as rowdy uh, as possible? I mean, definitely they wanted to make it physical because they're going to have to earn everything they can against Liverpool. Obviously, I don't I don't really truly think that teams are out here trying to hurt people. I mean, it could be the case. I don't know. You just have to, like, get inside their mind and see what they're, you know, thinking. But you can't really, you know, do that. But, um, I mean, sure, I think the Richarlison uh, red card was kind of payback for Pickford probably. But 
honestly, I thought the refs, you know, they should have given it, but also at the same time, I think they're making up for missing that early uh, challenge by Pickford. Um, you know, obviously that was not smart by either one of those players for Everton. Uh, you know, it's it's it, like like David said, it, it, these things happen. It's really unfortunate for the game. Uh, it's just kind of the results of it being a physical, tough derby match, and you know, you hate to see people getting hurt like that, and you know, people making challenges in that way. Yeah, uh, Tiago. Oh, go ahead, David. No, I was just. I will say that. Yeah, Chris, I, and, and you haven't been the person to say it and, and, because you're you're a really good Liverpool fan, and there are Liverpool fans are known throughout the Premier League to be some of the most difficult fans to deal with. You know, um, <laughs> six times. And I will say, based on social media reactions, you know, the Sky Sports is known to kind of favor Liverpool and Manchester United, and there's been a lot of conversation about, oh, you know, Pickford should get banned. Pickford, the the penalties should be more severe for injuring a player like Van Dyke. And I just think, you know, as Andy said, and as I said earlier, accidents happen, and you know it was a bad challenge. He didn't mean to do it. You know, I mean, now, the Charleston tackle was worse, in my opinion. Uh, he, that was a very deliberate red card. Um, but, I, and that's just my opinion on you guys. We think different. Yeah, no, I, I'd say that I agree with that. I, I don't think Pickford meant at all. Uh, to injure Van Dyke in any way. I don't think any player means to injure another one. Um, that, that's just not uh, that's just not something that you see in, t- in today's game. Uh, it, it was just coming from a place where he's he's been a bit reckless. He's that's just the way that he plays. Um, but hopefully he'll take that as a learning experience. And um, as if this game did not already have uh, enough controversy, there was of course uh, a late goal um, in the game scored by. Liverpool's captain Jordan Henderson with the assist coming from Saudi Omane, whose sleeve, I believe, was offsides. Um, I really don't know what to make of this because the way that I saw it, um, they drew the line down from the edge of Saudi Omane's either uh, sleeve or elbow around that region down to the ground, and then they lined it up um, with uh, the body of, I believe, maybe Seamus Coleman, or uh, Yuri Mina. Um, but in the rules, it says that it's your shoulder, your, your, your shoulder, your body, your legs, that has to be off sides. So I, I don't know, first of all, I don't know why Michael Oliver didn't look at this on the sideline, um, considering that uh, Jonathan Moss did it in the first week and he was hailed uh, by everyone watching for, for making the right call. And I don't know why the line was drawn at the place where it was. And uh, apparently Liverpool FC also do not because they made a formal request to uh, the, the Premier League to get um, clarification on what exactly happened. Uh, what What's y'all's take on this? I, I, Chris, we talked about this before on the show, and I think we talked about it last year, if you remember correctly. Uh, Sun against Everton, I believe, had a run where he ran up the middle and it was impossible to tell if he was offsides or not. Similar to yesterday. Yes. Uh, yes, everyone. It was impossible. And they called it offside. And I said to you, I said, listen, I'm all for this, you know, drawing I'm all for for getting those things right. But at some point I've always believed there needs to be human error. You know, and I always like the idea of okay, if you think it's offsides, have the ref go to the monitor 
have the ref go to the monitor, and if he can't tell, keep it keep it as is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like this. They draw a line, a goal is scored, everyone celebrates, and then you go back and you, oh my gosh, you know he's a millimeter offside. It, it just it takes the the fun out of the game. Um, I wish it wasn't that way, but. I mean, I don't think he was offside, to be completely honest with you. I, I, I just don't. Yeah, I have to second that in a little bit of a way. I will say um, I agree with your point, David, that uh, you know, if there's clear enough evidence, kind of like in college football where it has to be indisputable video evidence to overturn something, I say that they need to kind of play by that rule in the Premier League as well that if it's too close to call, just keep it the same. You know, Keep it the same uh, call that you made on the field. But obviously, I think the one thing to look at is the camera angle that was shown on TV. Um, I think we have to point out that it was not even to the pitch. It was a little bit slightly turned. Now, I'm not saying that that's the full reason that made him offside, that the camera angle uh, you know, was not even. He, he looked onside. It was really, really close to tell or close to call, um, but I think that also had to do with uh, you know why people thought he was onside. You know, if it's even, maybe he's just a little bit offside. I don't know, but I think you know from the camera angles that we saw, it made it sure look like Mane was onside. Going off your point, Andy, one of the interesting things that they showed before the match was that Goodison Park has a sliding camera. Uh, that only goes parallel to the pitch. Uh, and, and my belief is that why don't you just have that camera follow the last defender to a T so that you can get exactly the right line and just be done with this. But, um, yeah, it, it was a bit tilted. Um, it was still incredibly close. Um, my thinking on this is that for obvious offsides the the line can be drawn for obvious offsides or maybe the line can be drawn for the defender um and and then you can see where the attacker is and base it off that but in in instances where it is so close that a human eye cannot distinguish this um i i think the call on the field just needs to stand because it is not VAR's fault that these calls are being made wrong. VAR is just the tools. It's the people using the tools uh, that are just not doing the job that they need to be doing. Uh, but uh, moving on, perhaps uh, the biggest takeaway from this match is that, of course, Virgil van Dijk will be out uh, for the foreseeable future. And Liverpool have a match at Ajax on Wednesday. Uh, and Jurgen Klopp is going to have to figure out very quickly uh, how to remedy this. Of course, Liverpool sold... Dan Lovren over the summer transfer window uh, to uh, Zenit St. Petersburg. So that leaves Liverpool with Joe Gomez and Joel Matip as starting center backs with a possibility of if either of them are out or injured or have just played too many games with Fabinho playing in the back. And if all three of them, or if two out of the three of them are hurt, then we could even see Jordan Henderson playing at center back. He did it in one match last season, uh, the 2-1 win in the FIFA Club World Cup against Monterey. He was paired up with Joe Gomez. Um, So this is going to be 
interesting to see how this plays out. And uh, it, it seems like uh, this is going to be one of the defining moments of the season to see if Liverpool can overcome this. But, uh, of course, Everton versus Liverpool uh, was not the only game to happen this weekend. There were, some also, there were also some big results uh, coming from the Spurs versus West Ham game. David, I know you have a lot uh, to say about this, but let's start with the start of the game. Uh, Harry Kane um, uh, scoring and assisting Son in the game. Uh, how was the start? The best start I've seen Spurs have probably all season. Um, and, I mean, Harry Kane has seven assists. Um, he has five goals. Son has seven goals. Um, they have the most goal, con- uh, goal contributions and goals of any two players in the history of the Premier League in the first five games. Um, I mean, we, we just unbelievable. Uh, and I, and I, I'm not to talk about the end of the game. I actually have to say, like, was I disappointed with a tie? Absolutely. I was, I, I but not being gloomy and doomy, but you know, I was actually, I thought we played really well the whole game. You know, we gave up a, we've had issues with set pieces and that's how they scored. They got a, a good goal and they got the goal of the season. Um, and you take the pauses you can get. I think it was a wake-up call. Uh, I think I, this is a surprise because I don't really think he's the best player we have, but I think Eric Dyer plays that game. If he plays, we win. I do. But, uh, you know, Harry Kane is on a tear. He's probably the best player in the Premier League right now, um, but like in form, and it's great to see. Yeah, it would be hard to argue with that uh, statement. Kane, five goals, seven assists on the season. Uh, I mean, he's he's been directly involved in 12 goals, the majority of which he's been involved with uh, Son. Um, did Jose finally figure out how to play Harry Kane uh, compared to last season? Because early in this season, even, I think in the Everton game, he only had one or two shots. Um, and uh, Tottenham were having a, a hard time finding how to feed the ball to him. Uh, did Jose finally say we're going to play him deep, uh, maybe as a false nine, but he's still going to be able to score uh, and really allow him to, to open up play? I think uh, when I watched um, All or Nothing, Jose said something really important that I think was kind of went under the radar that he wants to make Harry Kane like Messi and Ronaldo. And I know that rival fans will sit there and go, like, are you kidding but I think what he meant by that is, especially Messi. Messi plays deeper um, as he's gotten older for Barcelona. He plays almost. He plays in the wing, and his FIFA card is always a winger card. Uh, but he's played deeper, and he goes to get the ball, and he, so he doesn't get beat up as much. And I think that's really important when it comes to Harry Kane. Uh, I think everything Jose did this past game, like he didn't lose us the game. I can't be mad at Jose. I'm, I'm fully bought in. Uh, and what he does with Kane, I think, makes Kane better. Um, and, yeah, to answer your question, he figured it out. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that you uh, don't blame Jose for the lo- for the, for the draw. Excuse me. Um, yeah, three goals. 
in the last 10 minutes of the game. It reminds me of Crystal Palace Liverpool uh, in the 13-14 uh, season. Um, so if you don't think it was Jose, do you think it was um, the, the substitutions that he brought on uh, just not being able to uh, get into the game really? Or do you think uh, the team just mentally turned off? What do you attribute it to? Uh, so I attribute it to two things. Uh, the first thing was one of the substitutions. When he took Ndumbele off the field, I think we lost. Uh, he put Harry Winks in, and I'm a huge Harry Winks fan, but uh, it just took the creativity out of the front of the midfield. With Lo Celso being inactive and not playing uh, due to he's nursing a knock, but he'll be back for the Europa League game on Thursday, uh, I think that just took the creativity out of the midfield. Um, on the other hand, I think... I think the defense lost the game. Um, as I said, I think Eric Dyer plays, we win. Uh, and saying that, Davison Sanchez had a good game, but it, I saw a tweet today on Twitter that said, like, Davison Sanchez could have a 10 out of 10 game or a 1 out of 10 game, but no matter what happens, he will always have one error. And he had the error. He had the error in the game, and it was killer. It was an own goal. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was sitting watching the game, and the own goal happened in the 85th minute, and I said, well, we're going to tie this game. I don't know how we're going to tie this game, we're going to tie this game, and we did. Um, and that's the old Tottenham mentality that we had, uh, the non-winning mentality that I think is slowly changing, but it's not there yet. You know, in our last 15 performances, we've lost one game, uh, which is really impressive. And I know a tie is a tie, and I know it's one point, but every team seems to have weakness this year, um, and I, I, I'll take the point. Against the London rival who, every time they play us, it's like their cup final, uh, I'll take the point. Mm. Yeah, and credit to West Ham. Uh, they've had two wins and one draw in their last three, ga- uh, last three Premier League games. Uh, the 3-0 win against Leicester and the 4-0 game against Wolves. Um, but David Moyes came back this game. And uh, West Ham tied. Uh, are they better off with David Moyes being at home or when he's back in the stadium? Man, I think they got you got to have David Moyes on the pitch. I mean, he was running around after that beautiful strike from Lanzini. It's good to see him going uh, insane on the pitch. You know, you just got to have him on. You got to have your coach. I mean, that's just you know when you got a guy like him or. You know, anybody like Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola, you just have to have their presence. I think a lot of coaches in the Premier League, uh, you know, help players. They're, you know, instrumental to success. So, yeah, having him back was good. Yeah, he was definitely energized after that incredible third goal by Manuel Lanzini from far outside the box, 30 yards at least, just putting it in the top right corner. Uh, I believe Lloris even got a hand to it, but there was no way that that ball wasn't going in. Um, that's, a, that's a goal of the season. That's goal of the, uh, That's what I was just yeah. about to ask. Absolutely. Goal of the season. Absolutely. Already chalked so off. Far, yeah. Yeah. Unless, Absolutely. unless there's like some crazy other goal, I don't know what it'd be, but that's got to be the goal of the season. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you guys saw. I mean, I know Bale. I, we got to talk about Bale for a second. I don't know if Chris, you were going to ask. Oh uh, yes, go ahead. But Bale made Obana fall over. Now I know he missed the goal. Like, I know he missed a shot. It's probably because he's a little rusty. But, like, he's still Bale. There ain't a question about it. He's still, he still has every bit of talent that um, 
he had at Real Madrid, and there's not a question that once he plays a few games and gets some, you know, some minutes under his legs, I, I think he's going to make us. I'll say it. I think he'll make us have the best front three in the Premier League next to uh, a healthy Liverpool, a healthy Manchester City. Uh, do you think that Gareth Bale missed the shot because he was allegedly wearing golfing shoes on the bench? Uh, I don't know, but I'll tell you what: if he would have, if, if he would have, if that was a golf ball that he hit, he would have won. Just a little, just a little dig. Um, uh, before we get off the, the Gareth Bale subject, there was, of course, the flag. Um, either last season or two seasons ago, uh, that said Wales Golf Madrid um, on it. Do you think that uh, the order is Wales Golf Tottenham, or do you think that's been shaken up? Uh, I, I have to say, I think the Guardian put out an article saying how happy he is to be back at Spurs. You know, every moment he has a smile on his face. Uh, and, and and I'll say something else, and I won't usually say this, but. Uh, I think the one of the biggest differences in the game is the first Spurs game that I've noticed. Uh, if the fans were in the stadium, we would have won. Uh, you know, three nothing up at home with a packed stadium, singing, you know, doing all the stuff, uh, cheering. We would have won that game, especially with Gareth Bale coming back. You know, I can't imagine what the stadium would have. I mean, I was I was like thrilled in my living room watching the game. You know, um, and I think. A packed stadium, we win that game. And it was the first game that I've seen us play, other than maybe the North London Derby back in, in the summer, that I would say, you know what, I noticed that I, I missed the fans for this because that would have put the game away. Yeah, that's going to be a big issue throughout the season. Uh, fans definitely have their impact. Uh, of course, as I know, European Knights at Anfield are going to be quite different. Uh, without fans, but we are going to be moving on to uh, what would have been in other seasons probably the biggest game of the weekend, but maybe not so far this one. Uh, it was City Arsenal. City, of course, won one uh, nil with a Raheem Sterling goal. Uh, but before we talk about the game, uh, we have to mention uh, the Sergio Aguero uh, incident, as people have been labeling it, um, wherein during the game, uh, he was debating a, a call uh, with the female linesman, and um, as he was walking away, he put his arm uh, on her shoulder. She shrugged it off. Uh, but, Andy, as a City supporter, I want to get your take on this. Well, I mean, I watched it, and I I really don't think that we should be making a big deal about this. Uh, I mean, sure, it was a little awkward, to be honest. I mean... I don't know why he would put his arm around her like that. I mean, it was a little weird, but in truth, he wasn't trying to harm her. He wasn't trying to do anything. It wasn't vulgar. It wasn't, you know, he just put her around her shoulder, which, I mean, I will say is a little weird. Maybe he shouldn't have done that, but at the same time, I don't think we should make a big deal about this. I think it's been hashed out too much, uh, and, you know, I, I just think players, while they shouldn't touch a referee, regardless if it's a woman or a man, I think, you know, when when you're looking at the context of it, we shouldn't take it out of proportion. And I don't think too much of it. Obviously, you know, I don't know Aguero personally. I don't know, you know, what what he was thinking there. But I just don't think that that is a big deal. And Pep even said it in the press conference. He said we should look somewhere else. You know, if you're going to criticize anything, go criticize 
you know, any other part of the team, but not what happened there. Mm. Yeah, Pe- Pep did say that um, after the match that he believed that uh, Sergio Aguero was the nicest person that he had ever met. Um, so I I agree with you. I don't think he meant uh, anything by it. Um, uh, although the rules do say, like, you shouldn't touch a referee. Um, so I, I think this is a learning experience and to, to move on from this. Um, but, of course, City won the game. Uh, was it a good recovery for City after the Leeds draw? I thought it was a good recovery to win. Uh, maybe could have scored a few more goals just to put it away. I thought City handled Arsenal really, really well. Didn't allow too many chances, which was good. Ederson made some good saves off the few chances that Arsenal had. But I thought they were able to really, you know, put Aubameyang away. He was not a huge factor in the game at all. Uh, Saka, you know, had a few chances at one point, but you know, Ederson was able to parry it away, and you know, Raheem Sterling got on the end of a good counterattack shot from Phil Foden, and City just defended well. They Ruben Diaz has been a huge difference for City, uh, and Nathan Ake too. They're both their presence back there have been really, really positive for City. And I, I think they're moving in the right direction, and it's going to get better. They've got Aguero back. Jesus is coming back soon. Kevin De Bruyne is out just temporarily after just taking a knock from international break. So if they can get back to where they were, you know, just a few months ago, even uh, two years ago, I think, you know, they have a real shot to start moving up the table and uh, starting to compete for the title again. Yeah, injuries are definitely making a big impact uh, on this title chase between uh, Liverpool and City, arguably the top two contenders of the past few years. Um, Virgil is out. Allison is out, but is said to be returning sooner than expected. Kevin De Bruyne is injured. Uh, Benjamin Mendy, uh, Laporte, Gabriel Jesus is going to be out for an extended period of time. Um, even at Chelsea, uh, Edward Mendy, um, their replacement goalkeeper is going to be out. Do you think these injuries are going to have a huge uh, title implication? Yeah, I mean, I think across the league you're seeing, you know, teams like Everton and Aston Villa up there now. And I think it's because these top six sides are, you know, playing a lot of matches, especially uh, with the way this year's gone. You know, there's not been much of a rest. And these bigger sides are playing more competitions. You're playing in Champions League. You're playing in, you know, Europa League. You're playing in – you know, the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, there's so many competitions that these big six sides, or traditional big six sides, I should say, um, are playing in. Compared to the smaller teams, they're able to rest. They're able to sit up. They've been sitting back all summer long, you know, just getting the rest, and they've been training until the season starts. But teams like City and Liverpool and, you know, Tottenham are playing in, you know, Europe, and even the qualifiers, you know, for the Europa League like Tottenham did, and you know, you're, you're expending energy already before the season starts. So, yeah, I think it's a huge deal uh, f- because that they're, ab- they're able to, you know, play more, which is good for them. But, like, at the same time, it can be detrimental if you're uh, picking up a bunch of injuries. Yeah, and let's talk about Arsenal uh, real quick before we move on because they had a uh, – Mikel Arteta's team had a pretty solid game um, against City, have had some good results in the past, of course, in the FA Cup, beating City – um, I would say arguably Saka was their best player uh, on the wing or on on the left hand side. He was very creative. Um, David, what do you think about Arsenal's performance? I thought they had a poor performance. 
Uh, I'll disagree with you. I thought they played poorly. I take. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I will agree. Saka was their best player. Yeah, but I, I think they played pretty bad. Um, I mean, it, it, and I understand they had they still had like eleven or thirteen shots. And I mean, but like, I thought the game itself was just poor. I thought both teams were were poor. You know, Man City. I think the quality won them the game. Uh, now it was. I agree with Andy. It was a really nice bounce back. You know. It, and and the way to win the Premier League is even when you're playing poorly, you pull results out, you know, and Man City did that. Arsenal, on the other hand, I watched them and I just said, you know what, there's nothing special going on here. You know, and I've always kind of said this, you know, everyone raves about Arteta, raves about Arteta. It's funny because, you know, Emery right now is tied for first place in La Liga. Hmm. And I said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not sure if it's the manager at Arsenal or if it's the players. Um, you know, and Arsenal had a, a – I know Thomas Partey got his debut, and Arsenal fans are probably not going to disagree with me at all. I just from, – from the way I watch the game, it's just – Arsenal never really got anything going. You know, they had a few shots on target, um, but they never really were able to get anything, especially in the second half going. You know, and I think uh, Lee Dixon was really – he kind of was just like, you know, Arsenal just can't get anything going. He's, a, he's an Arsenal guy. You know, he played there. Um, and, I, and I agree with that. It was very disappointing, um, especially with him, you know, with Arteta and Pep, Arteta being, you know, Pep's uh, assistant coach for years. I thought he'd play him better, and he just didn't. And I, you know, I, I had Arsenal finishing second in my league standings earlier this season um, when we did them, and I, I don't agree with that anymore. Um, you know, they pulled some wins out, and they've done a good job, and they're fifth in the tail right now, but I was not very impressed with their performance. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was a sloppy game from both teams as well, especially Arsenal. I thought City, like I said, they were able to really shut down Aubameyang, and I thought Arsenal was silly for not starting Lacazette with Aubameyang because usually that pair – does them uh, wonders, you know, on that team. So I thought Lacazette coming on in the second half was a little different from Arsenal. I thought I expected him to play with Aubameyang. But Saka did really well, and so did Willian. Uh, but I just, like I said, I thought City was able to dominate in defending and the midfield, even without De Bruyne. I thought City's midfield with Foden, with uh, even Ilkay Gundogan coming in, I thought they were really able to do a lot there and no they didn't score a lot I thought City you know maybe could have had a few more goals uh but I think with Sergio Aguero just coming back it's going to take him time to kind of figure it out and no they can't rely on Raheem Sterling all the time I mean sure he scored the last two games but ultimately they got to have Sergio Aguero they've got to have Kevin De Bruyne they got to have Gabriel Jesus and other players contributing if they're going to win a league title I'm going to be honest, I was a bit more focused on the Auburn football game that was happening at the same time as this one. Um, don't, but, don't bring that up. Please don't. Yeah, so we're going to forget that um, as soon as possible. Uh, but one more thing that I want to bring up about this game uh, is that Arteta started Willian over Lacassette. Do you think that was a mistake? Uh, no. I think Lacassette should have played over Pepe. I think Pepe didn't really do anything. Mm. Um, and I've said this before, and you and I both agree on this, you know, you're going to spend $72 million on a player. He better make an impact. And I know he scored a really nice goal, I think it was last uh, two weeks ago. Um, 
you got to make an impact. He didn't do it. You know, he dribbles down the field. He does do nice things, but 72 million pound player needs to score goals consistently, uh, especially when the rest of your team is struggling. William, uh, you know, the funny thing about William is he can have a bad game for 75 minutes, but he, he does make chances occur. And I think that's the biggest complaint out of Chelsea fans that, you know, towards the end of his career was, oh, like he's having a poor game, he's having a poor game, and all of a sudden he has this beautiful ball of assist. Pepe just, he, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think that they should have started Lacazette over Pepe. Mm. And moving on to our other big matchup of the weekend, number two versus number three. Now number one, Aston Villa played Leicester City and beat them 1-0. Uh, the goal came from Ross Barkley, who is arguably the best thing to happen at Aston Villa since 1982 when they won their European Cup. Um, Andy, what has Ross Barkley's impact been for Aston Villa? Well, I mean, obviously he's changed the mid, though. I kind of – his. Uh, so- Similar to uh, James Rodriguez, he's really just been an impact. He's been able to get it, the ball down to Jack Grealish and Ollie Watkins. And, you know, honestly, I would say Aston Villa and Everton are kind of having the same seasons where they're able to get these pieces like a striker. They're able to get a winger and a great midfielder to connect those two uh, together. So I think, you know, they're kind of having the similar uh, success right now. But Aston Villa, I just you know, I think they're just playing well. They've got a lot of grit. Uh, Dean Smith is such a great manager. I think he's you know probably going to be a contender to coach at a big team one day. I think you know some uh, you know big six sides, either in England or you know maybe even other leagues, might take notice of him eventually. I know he's a Villa guy. He may stay there, but you know I, I think one day if he wanted to go up, he could coach at a bigger team. Just the way he's um, managing right now, but. Aston Villa, I mean, that was a gritty win oh, to beat Leicester on the road. I know they didn't have Jamie Vardy, but still, that's a tough match for anyone. And to get the goal in the last you know, few minutes in stoppage time for Ross Barkley, just showing his quality again. You know, I know he didn't get much uh, time to play with Chelsea because you know they got a lot of great talent, but he still is a good player, and I think you know, he's showing people that he's not done yet. David, what's your take on the former Chelsea star? Uh, I don't know if it's luck or if it's, he just needed to get at Chelsea. You know, it actually, he actually looked like he did one of his younger Everton days, you know, when they thought he was like the superstar kid coming up, uh, in which he had a lot of potential. And, you know, he, he still does in a way. Uh, I don't know what to think of it. You know, it, it's... I'm impressed with Aston Villa, uh, and, I, and I think everyone is. You know, the four from four, uh, a, you know, they killed Liverpool, and I know Liverpool, it was a fluke, but Liverpool had a bad game. But then, you know, to come back and beat Leicester, we got there. I don't know if they're going to be a Sheffield from last year kind of thing, you know, when they're up in the top, up in the top, and then they fall off at the end. Uh, but, I mean, I, I'm, what a great performance from them. I mean, really, what a, what a great performance. Mm. Uh, where do you think that Ville will realistically finish this season? You said that they're uh, uh, 100% right now, uh, four wins on the season, playing pretty good. How long do you think they can sustain it? I think they'll finish seventh or eighth. Uh, I don't know how long they can 
I think it's just along the lines of, you know, you have a lot of confidence running right now, and the problem with Villa is they don't have... Uh, they were 17th last year, uh, and they just escaped it on the last day. And, yeah, they got Ollie Watkins and they got some other players, but I can't tell if they're, like, for real or not yet. Uh, and the only reason I say 7th or 8th is just because, you know, smaller teams like that, and I'm not call- that it's not at all saying that Aston Villa is a small club. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying smaller teams that are, you know, newly promoted last year or two years ago, uh, they're going to have hills and valleys, and, and we'll just have to see where that is. Hmm. And uh, their opponents, Leicester, of course, played without Jamie Vardy. Uh, James Madison had to be subbed on. He wasn't 100% fit. Um, Fox, the Foxes need to fix this. Uh, if they can't perform without their star player, there's no way that they are going to have a good season. Uh, Andy, what do you think the fix for that is? Well, I mean, Jamie Vardy... It will be out for a little bit, so obviously that's going to really hurt them. I, you know, I think for them they're just going to have to, you know, next man up and just keep on fighting. Because I mean, they're a good team. They've got a lot of good players, but you know, we saw last year, especially towards the end of their campaign, they were almost in Champions League and they let it slip. And they can't let that happen again. They, if they are going to get in top four, that every match matters, and they have to get points regardless. And without Jamie Vardy, it's going to hurt. But I think you know, right now they're in a good place, so they'll they'll continue to get better. But we'll see kind of how good they are once they get up against tougher opponents. Mm. And another big result on the weekend: Chelsea played Southampton. The game ended uh, three to three. Um, Probably man of the match for Chelsea this game was, of course, Timo Werner. Uh, absolutely huge in creating the first two goals. Um, but I felt like he was often isolated up top. Is it uh, a lack of consistency in the midfield for Chelsea or just Timo Werner playing really high up? I don't know. I mean, I think it's Timo Werner playing striker. Uh, and playing where he should be, and that's why probably he was as good as he is. I mean, he's a he's a he's a world class striker, um, you know. And he's going to have some bad games, but I mean, if you look at strikers, they're going to have bad games. There's no striker out there that, other than maybe Robert Lewandowski, who is cons- almost consistent every week. And I think finally not pay- playing him on the wing um, is showing. And I think that we just saw what he can do. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it took him time to finally fit in at Chelsea because, I mean, I was kind of thinking at the first couple of weeks, like, why did they even sign him? You know, he's not doing anything. He's just running around, you know, trying to even get on the end of a, a pass. But after that first goal and then especially after the second one, he really showed how, how good he is uh, as, you know, he did at RB Leipzig. So, I think, you know, he's finally starting to find form. And if he continues to do that, Chelsea's going to be in a good place. But I think, you know, the biggest thing for them is they've got so many superstars now. And I'm not saying that this is an issue, but I do think, though, that, you know, there can be a thing with too many, you know, people and too many personalities getting in the way. Because, I mean, you've got, you know, you know Havertz, Pulisic, Werner, Hakeem Ziyech, you've got so many guys on that field now who they bought for so much money. And, you know, that can be a problem sometimes if you have too many personalities going. But, I mean, I think Chelsea, they're going to be in a good place as long as Werner keeps scoring goals. 
Yeah, all the players that uh, Chelsea bought this season, of course, were the result of uh, Frank Lampard going out and uh, deciding that he wanted to spend two hundred plus million on uh, these world class forwards. Um, but it seems like uh, Frank Lampard's mentality um, and strategy when it comes to this uh, Chelsea side is um, very much Jose Mourinho's attack, but without the defense, right? When Chelsea won, I have the paper right here. When Chelsea won the title uh, with Jose uh, in 2005, they only allowed 15 goals. Uh, in 2006, they allowed 22 and in 2015, they allowed 32. Um, right now, Frank Lampard's at a rate where it's going to be a lot more than those numbers uh, in, in the goals allowed this season. If he's allowing three against Southampton, three against um, West Brom, uh, Werner was almost acting like a, a Didier Drogba in this game, right? Play really high up, send the long ball to him, and then hope that he can create something. The first goal with that um, incredible uh, just... Andy, what word would you use to describe the the turn on that first goal? I mean, shifty, honestly. Shifty. Very shifty. Very shifty. Um, great de- deception, even honestly, another word because he totally just donned the defender. I mean, he did him up. It was incredible. It was crazy. Could could you say that he bamboozled him? Yes, quite possibly bamboozled him. Yes, he did. Um, great turn. Got free, wiggled around defenders, and then put it in. Man, it was great. And then the second goal, I mean, he just popped it right over the goalkeeper and headed it in. Like it looked like something I'd do out of FIFA or something like that. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, we are running out of time, so I want to touch on uh, the Manchester United and Newcastle game really quickly. Uh, Manchester United won four to one, overcoming Newcastle and uh, overcoming that six one defeat. Uh, against Tottenham. Um, David, are you convinced by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? No, but I, I don't know. I don't know what what Manchester United is as a team this year. I think this is going to be one of those weird seasons that Ole is going to be on the brink of being sacked and then he's going to win a, a football game by three goals. Uh, you know, I, do I think he's the the next manager, the, like the next great manager, the United manager. No, but I also don't think Manchester United is the same team they used to be. Uh, you know, historically, teams go through ups and downs, and I think Man U is doing that now too. You know, you have these young superstars like Marcus Rashford uh, and you know Mason Greenwood, and you know you. I think their defense is a huge problem. I think Harry Maguire might be up there with, but well, no one's worse than Kepa spending. 80 million for Kappa. But Terry McGuire is definitely up there with, with one of the worst $80 million spent. And, you know, and don't get me wrong, he's not a terrible defender, but spending $80 million to get a, a, a center back who's your captain and he makes the errors he makes is just, that can't happen. Mm. Yeah, it seems to me that Ole still hasn't found his best team with United yet. Uh, I still feel like he's he's mixing it up a lot. We saw Dan James even playing on on the left, um, uh, on the left wing this week. Um, so a lot of changes week per week. Paul Pogba coming in substituted. Um, it, it still seems to me that there is a lack of tactics 
um, in that dressing room, and then it's more so always going to find the best 11 players that he believe um, he has that week, and he's going to play them, and he's going to see who plays well, who doesn't play well, and then he's going to change it based off that. Um, but, yeah, uh, Ole has bought another week at Manchester United. Uh, other matches from this week, Sheffield United drew Fulham 1-1. to Fulham get their first point of the season. Uh, same with West Brom drawing 0-0 with Burnley. Uh, that is also their first point of the season, uh, both in the relegation zone. Uh, I believe Sheffield United is also in the relegation zone with one point. Um, Crystal Palace drew uh, 1-1 with Brighton. And Leeds United lost 1-0 uh, against Wolves. Um, Wolves had a Wolves had a tough game, I would say. Uh, Bielsa came out strong. Leeds looked very good. Both teams had good chances. Um, but I would say that it was just the sheer quality of Raul Jimenez uh, that put Wolves over the top. David, uh, what does Jimenez mean to this team? As Also, as being one of the non-Portuguese players on that team. I mean, Jimenez is huge. You know, he was linked away to go to Juventus for, you know, 50-some million. And, I mean, they signed him to a five-year contract, which I think is huge. And, I mean, he's, a, he's, he's not, you know, a world-class striker, but he's a great striker, and he does everything they need him to do. And, you know, he's a, he's a player that will win them games, and that's really important, especially in the Premier League. And, you know, and hopefully he, he's one of those players of building blocks that they have to take the team to the next level. Rightly said, and we have been talking about the Premier League for a good chunk of this podcast, but now it is move on. It is time to move on to the midweek matches, that being the first Champions League matches of the new season. The big ones to watch this week will be PSG playing Manchester United, Lazio play Dortmund, Liverpool play Ajax, Manchester City play Porto, and perhaps the biggest one of the week, Bayern Munich play Atletico Madrid. Bayern Munich, of course, the champions uh, of last season. Um, Andy, who do you predict to win the Champions League this season? Man, you put me on the spot here. Because uh, I just, right now, I, I mean, I think anyone can win it. I mean, I, I, I'll at least say the favorites are, you know, probably Bayern Munich has to be number one favorite. I mean, that's pretty much an obvious they're so good they're so talented I could see them going back to back but I mean there's just you just never know with this tournament I mean you know you can have people get knocked out in the group stage that you never expect you can have people get through uh you know like Ajax you know a couple years ago or you know any other teams like AS Monaco in just recent history did it I mean there's just so much unknown but I would say Bayern are the favorite. I'm not going to call them the winners, but I'm going to say they're the favorites too. I'd say other teams that are favorites, you know, maybe Juventus, uh, you know, Liverpool, if, if they can get their defense going. I think Liverpool has, still has a chance. Man City, if they can get going too, you know, they're always in there. PSG as well. I mean, there's so many teams really that can do it, but I'd say, you know, out of the, the many teams, I'd say those are some of the favorites. David, I'll make the question a little bit easier for you. Who do you think are the favorites to win uh, the Champions League? 
Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll go back to your original question, but it's not easier. I like it harder. PSG is going to win this year. Uh, it's either PSG or Bayern Munich, in my opinion, but I have a, I think PSG will. Uh, I don't. I think Thiago leaving Bayern is going to be a lot larger of a miss than you know people believe. I actually would have said Liverpool would probably be my favorite to win, but Van Dyke got hit and hurt, and, I, I, and that sucks, you know. Um, as a soccer fan, you hate to see an injury like that, but I mean, watching him play is like you're watching one of the best defenders to ever play the game play. Uh, and that's not saying he's better than any of the other legends, but it's it's amazing to watch him play. I mean, it, he's the he's what he's kids look up to him to play defense the way he does, and I think it's amazing. Uh, but I, I my my bet is PSG to win this year. David, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, not about PSG, but definitely about Bayern Munich and Liverpool. If you had asked me last week um, who I would say the favorites are, I would I would say Liverpool. Thiago was the missing piece. If Liverpool had Thiago against Atletico Madrid, they would have had a much, 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 much easier time challenging them. Uh, just his ability on the ball in the midfield, uh, his, his sight for passes um, just would have broken down that defense. But um, and, and we've seen Liverpool struggle against teams like Atletico, teams like Napoli in the last two seasons. So Thiago would be the fix for that. But um, Liverpool faced the problem of missing Van Dyke, And um, I, I still think they're one of the favorites to get far in the tournament. But if you ask me today, I'm going to have to say Bayern Munich. Um, they have... Um, they they lost Thiago, sure. They also got Sané, uh, and Sané is huge. Andy, you have something to say. So I have two dark horses in this tournament. Oh, okay. Borussia Dortmund will be a dark horse in this tournament. I don't think they'll make the final, but I think they're gonna they're destined for a deep run this year. I think they've been they've been really close, and I know they've had some bad group stage luck, but I think this time. They're going to get through, and I think Holland is a good player. He's going to lead them. And I think Dortmund's finally tired of being the team that just, you know, comes up short to everyone uh, because, you know, they're always, quote-unquote, the farmer's team that goes to Bayern or anywhere else in the world. Um, but I think Dortmund's a dark horse and also Inter Milan. I think Inter Milan has a team that can – you know, fight and challenge these big dogs in the in the Champions League. So I look for the two of these teams to be, you know, some of the upset alert in the Champions League. Well, we'll be looking forward to those games, and we'll talk about them, uh, recap them next week. But, of course, it's time for everyone's favorite segment, the predictions for this week. Right now I'm in the lead with uh, five correct picks out of eight. Uh, David, uh you are one for four, and Andy, you are one for two uh, right now. So, Andy, starting with you, who do you believe are going to win their matches? I'm going to take Manchester City over West Ham United. I know that's going to be a tough game, but I think City can go into the Olympic Stadium and get a result out, and I think they will hit West Ham with a few goals. I think West Ham will get some, but I think City wins maybe like 3-1. And then I'm going to take also, I will take Everton over Southampton. Uh, I think Everton is going to get back on track. And I think Southampton will give them a game. 
but I still like Everton to get three points out of this and remain at the top. All right, David, on to you. Uh, just a question: Can I take? Can I start picking my games up? And I can I pick three teams this week? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So first, I'm taking Tottenham over Burnley on Monday. Uh, I'm also going to take West Brom over Brighton on Monday, and then I will take Liverpool over Sheffield. All right. Yes, that is the first time that Liverpool has been picked. Uh, I believe it's also been the first time that Tottenham has been picked uh, so far. I had these written down before the show, but I will also be picking uh, Liverpool. Hopefully we don't see another 7-2. And I will be picking Brighton uh, to go over West Brom. Uh, So that'll do it for us. Uh, We look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.